Welcome to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. This podcast is about all things outdoor photography, including landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more. The show features two talented photographers, Henry Doyle and Ryan Taylor, who bring their different experiences in photography to the podcast. The show is released weekly every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In today's episode, Henry and Ryan invite Eleanor Mosman onto the show, a self-proclaimed lone huntress and curious misfit. She is best known for her travel photography and photojournalism of East Asian nomadic cultures in Tibet and Uyghur lands around China. We hope you look forward to hearing your wonderful stories from traveling around the world, the stigma surrounding women in the photographic industry, and making it as an outdoor photographer while pursuing your passion. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to episode 40 of the All Outdoors Photography Podcast, and today we have a very well-traveled guest. <laughs> yes, we're having Eleanor Mosman on the show. Thank you, Ellen, for coming on. Uh, you do lots of, or you have done, rather, lots of travel photography uh, and photojournalism out in Asia, so uh, just go ahead and introduce yourself and you know, your background and what you do. Uh, hi, guys. Thanks for having me. My name's Eleanor Mosman. You can also call me Ellen. Um, I have recently relocated back to Dayton, Ohio over the last year, oh, I guess about a year and a half ago after living in China for nearly 13 years. And uh, my background is I went to art school, BFA with photography, film, and um, from VCU in Richmond, Virginia, went on to New York to assist for a handful of years and then went on to China where um, I basically started my entire freelance career. Um, I balance my passion between, uh, I guess, well, how do I say this correctly? Um, my income, 100% of my income does come from photography, but it's from interior and architecture photography. And then my my passion is photo journal, journalism and documentary photography with a focus on ethnic minorities, specifically the Uyghurs and Tibetans of Northwestern China. And so that's, that's the short synopsis of it all. That's a lot though. You're covering like a lot of bases there. I mean, it's like almost like polar opposites, you know, commercial, then like this very adventurous, you know, style photography. Yeah, I and I have mixed feelings about that because, oh, well, I mean, it is what it is, but when I moved to China, the guy I was dating at the time, his brother had an architecture firm, and I actually, my father does flooring, so I grew up in construction, so I'd always been around, like, houses and the construction business, and, like, and uh you know in undergrad I had to take some design courses so there was like the artistic element of a really well-designed interior especially when the lighting is done really well and so there's that like artistic design sense of interiors that really speaks to me especially like with the decoration and just layouts and all that stuff so that really spoke to the artistic side of me and he just gave me the opportunity hey you know, I'll give you a little bit of money if you start, you know, taking some photos. And he had just started his architecture firm in Shanghai. So I started doing it and building up the portfolio and then working for other people. And, you know, it just ended up becoming what I do to pay the bills. Um, 
if you talk to most photographers that say they earn 100% of their income from photography, more than likely they do something that isn't necessarily the most exciting in the world. Um, but for the last three or four years, I've mainly, I got actually wrangled into an agency based in Colorado that um, I do mostly hotel photography now. And it's nice to have an agent because I don't have to worry about contracts and all that other stuff that comes with photography. They just say, hey, Eleanor, we need you to go to here, here, and here. Are you available? And I can say yes, yes, and no. Can they do that three weeks from now? And then, you know, so I can actually still have pretty much freedom with um, my scheduling. And, you know, hotel life isn't that glamorous, but I get to jet set around a bit and uh, always get to have interesting stories of strange things that happen in hotels. But um, that's given me freedom and financial. Uh, ability to travel either on bicycle or by foot with a backpack uh, lugged over my shoulders into more far-flung regions where I don't bathe for three to four weeks at a time and you know I don't even hear English being spoken for months on end so it's it's quite a difference between staying at a five-star hotel and literally sleeping in ditches (laughs) (laughs) so um I appreciate both of them I think I think keeping it like that I I really get to appreciate both you know I love a really nice hot shower um in a hotel with a good breakfast and then when I go back to doing the other thing I love you know being in my tent and you know cooking a pot of noodles or something it just I think I think experiencing all the sides and ends of what's possible really keeps keeps you appreciate appreciative of um your life that's awesome you've got quite the variety like ryan said earlier um so what would you say are like some of the coolest like if you could give like a a top five like overall your your favorite locations you've been to uh, whether it be with the hotels or with the more adventurous side of your photography um well so I'm 42 and I didn't really ever go on my first real vacation until I was 37 or 38 because I think you guys can relate if you go somewhere you're like oh oh how can I make a project out of this what can I photograph there what kind of story can I create there so Mm -hmm. um there I mean most of the places I've gone I've either yeah, it's usually with some sort of intent to photograph a story. So obviously my number one is Tibet. Um, there's three kingdoms in Tibet. Most people, their knee-jerk reaction to Tibet is, oh, Lhasa, where the Dalai Lama is from. But there's actually three different regions. Two of the three are more accessible without um, a special permit or a tour guide. So that definitely goes on top one. Um I first entered the Tibetan region probably around 10, it was 10 years ago, around this time of the year. And I was finished, I was in the middle of a 15,000 mile solo bicycle tour, which to backstep, the reason I went on that was also to start getting into more nature and photojournalism work because I didn't have that portfolio. So I was like, well, I'll just build it and ride my bike around and figure out, you know, go by that. So um so that was a big life changer for me it just it just affected me in a way that 
I don't, you would have to have a whole nother podcast to talk about that, but um, that would go number one. Um, I really enjoyed Kyrgyzstan. Central Asia is lovely and well, actually Xinjiang, that's the Muslim region of Northwestern China. That would be number two. Um, three would be Kyrgyzstan. Four would be Bangladesh. And hmm, I guess I'd put Indonesia down on there. And actually four of those five are Muslim countries. Um, before I ever went to Xinjiang, um, I guess this was 2008, there was still a lot of Islamophobia in the U.S. And I had never really met many Muslims. And then I started like traveling through these regions. And I'm like, holy crap, this is amazing. Like the food is phenomenal. Um, I was taken into so many homes and treated like family. Like it just it, it, it really encouraged me to become more of an activist with um, against Islamophobia and the representation of Muslims in the Western world because what we are bombarded with our media is so not what is really what really happens or how people really believe and um, yeah I mean there's the photography but there's also these elements of travel and life that have developed me into, um, can we say successful, a successful photographer? Uh, I mean, you're making your own money. Yes. Solely for photography. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, earlier. yeah, like I tell people, they're like, well, what, what, what can you teach? And, and I was actually, I'm doing um, a girls camp for the YWCA this summer and I told them I was like the the skills you need to be a professional photographer are not technical they're human skills there's empathy and compassion and understanding and listening like being able to listen so I explain to people when I meet people that I think could create a really amazing photo story I don't even let them see my camera I go into their house I spend time with them we talk we chat Maybe after a few days, I might bring out my camera, but I don't go in there being like, hey guys, I'm a photographer and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to photograph this. It's like, I just get to know people. So I actually become part of the household and family. And so these stories that I usually create are very, they're very important to me because I know these people on a personal level. Um, and that being said, um, most of my photojournalism stories are long-term invested stories um there is the one from Kyrgyzstan that's the women of the world nomad games when I went in with the intention of producing a story in a matter of a few days and not leaving it open-ended which most of my stories um well some have had to end for safety and le like safety issues and others are just kind of open-ended so I know I answered more than my top favorite five places but um that's top five with some extra bonus material <laughs> no worries we'll yeah, never turn it down from that so yeah <laughs> i think it's great how you're you kind of capture these locations that like you said they don't really get covered in western media like nobody ever talks about them as places to travel to and if the only times they do talk about them is in a negative fashion so i think it's great how you captured all those regions yeah it's <laughs> um so yeah i mean it's 
it's enjoyable. Um, I, I tell people that uh, it gives me a reason to put on my pants in the morning. It's, you know, so there's a lot of activism involved in my photography as well. Um, I get really upset with poverty porn and like dead, you know, flies on a dead baby. It's like those images, like we see enough of those. And so I really, really work hard not to, to be that type of photographer. And there's a way of showing there's a way of, of connecting an audience to imagery without being so blatant about, you know, war, famine, death, hunger, you know, there's, there's, you know, push yourself a little bit. So. Yeah. That, that, that's just a lot, man. <laughs> it's a lot to think about. Yeah. It's neat how you like, you said a little bit ago about connecting with people before like bringing the camera into it too. So I feel like they just label you as a photographer, but it's like you're getting to know them on a human humanity level, I guess. Humanistic. Yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. I I feel like there's a lot of exploitation in the industry. Um, I think that people are so hungry for those fifty thousand dollar awards or those twenty five thousand dollar grants. It's like, are you doing this story because you want your name plastered on PDN, RIP magazine? Or do you like, do you really want to see a change in the world? And, you know, it's like, I tell people money has nothing to do with it. Like I would do this work no matter what. And, you know, I also recognize that for lack of better words, my camera is a ticket to the show. You know, I'm in this third world country as a white woman. And, you know, obviously I stand out and it's like, oh, well, I'm a photographer. And a lot of times you know, in these Muslim countries, it's the men that are like, oh, you know where we should, we should go? You know what we should do? Like in Bangladesh, I'm riding on top of the buses with like all these bang Bangla men. And it's like for a woman to be, to be even be like hanging out with a bunch of guys a little on top of the bus. And I like have my like, like dress, like, like my uh, dupata, like wrapped around my hair and like, I'm keeping my arms covered, but you know, like, <laughs> I'm still having a good time and it's, I don't know where I was going with this, but it's just like, there's a ticket to the show. And like, I was doing some work with the Bangladeshi circus and it's like, my friends are like, oh yeah, we can get you access. And basically, you know, they just go to somebody and they're like, Hey, we have this American photographer. So, I mean, I understand that that's a lot of privilege right there, like a ton of privilege. And I, you know, I recognize that. So but yeah, the camera can be a total like ticket to the show. And at the end of the day, I prefer to like travel and spend time with these people. And if I had to leave the camera behind, I would leave the camera behind. It's more about the experience and like watching how people live. And, um, you know, like you hear these stories about like, oh, when I was growing up, I wanted, I looked at National Geographic and I so badly wanted to be one of those photographers. I looked at National Geographic and I was like, oh, I want to know how those people live. I want to sit in that room and like them not know I'm there and like see how they live and what they do and what they talk about. So like my curiosity was like more about the people than, oh, I want to take these photographs. It was, I want to know how these people live. So, yeah. And the, your camera's kind of the ticket to get into that. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I get to record it and, you know, at this point with the, the people I, I work with, I kind of just consider myself a conservationist. 
especially with documenting Tibet, because it's changing so quickly that I don't care if my photographs are worth anything right now. You know, in 50 years, they're going to be valuable to historians or academics or plenty of resources that need to know, like, why why it happened what happened and you know it's just I just see myself more as a visual uh, conservationist when it comes to stuff like that Hmm. would you say like which came into the picture first would you say like traveling or the photography side um which which one inspired you to go out there so to speak well this is a loaded loaded question Ryan (laughs) (laughs) we got the time it's all right um so I went to art school and I finished with a BFA in photography and film from BCU and I was just burned the hell out like I just I I didn't have it in me anymore and uh, most of the stuff I did was like self-portrait work Cindy Sherman-esque back in the day I don't I'm not sure if you young whippersnappers are familiar with Cindy Sherman (laughs) but she would dress up and like take photographs of herself and I was deathly afraid of asking people to to photograph them ironically looking at my work now but so I just photographed myself and I would dress up in costumes and disguises and I used a twin lens reflex seagull camera I think my dad got it for me for Christmas it was like a $200 camera that I used for most of my undergrad um then sorry that that was on film right you said yeah yeah so I was a big black and white dark room geek like I would spend my weekends in the dark room um I hated color it scared the death out of me so I was all about I like I just found my box of prints from undergrad it was all like selenium toned archival um black and white paper fiber paper and I was like what were you thinking like did you really think this stuff was going to be worthwhile to hold on to it so I like got rid of most of the prints I was just like nobody needs to see this stuff like I have the negatives um so then I moved to New York and lived in Brooklyn with the delusion that that's where artists go to make it big and um haha not so much so I actually got a job after my first year there working in a photo studio where we photographed artwork and my boss, James D, he had been there since the fifties. No, not the fifties, since the seventies. He's not that old. He's not that old. I hope he doesn't hear this, Um, (laughs) but he had photographed like Basquiat's work. And when Basquiat didn't have money, he would, he would, Basquiat would bring in pieces and be like, hey, can you document these? So we basically um, photographed artwork for private artists and galleries and museums all in New York. And we shot 35 millimeter color transparencies, four by five color transparencies, and on the occasion, eight, eight by 10 transparencies. I didn't do the shooting. I worked the front desk as the manager. So I would get to talk to everybody that came in and I became so bitter and jaded about the art world oh my god like Mm -hmm. hearing artists talk about the cut they got from galleries shows or what they had to pay for and then meeting gallery owners and museum directors I'm just like this world is just messed up I don't want to have anything to do with it and so and also I was just becoming older and experiencing more about the world and like my activism was kind of like 
coming up in me and and I just just looked at art as like what is this doing for the world like what is it doing like great like splatter some paint on a wall and you know sell it for a few thousand dollars so I actually didn't shoot for about five years five years yeah and so then I moved to China with the boyfriend and it's um, I still was kind of lost. I was like really lost actually. And I got really, really, really depressed, like the worst of my life. And so then I was like, well, Ellen, you better do something about it. So either you can just, you know, there was another option or you could just cut yourself off from the entire world and go ride your bike around the, around China. And so I chose to to the bike ride and uh yeah it was, it was a it it fueled my uh desire for photography again I got excited about photography like I look back at those pictures and watch how it developed through the trip um I came back with like not only did I come back with okay photos, I came back as like, oh, this woman totally just did something crazy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I proved myself to myself. And um, yeah, so I guess, like I'm a big outdoor advocate. I, I, um, I like as you guys being nature photographers, you know, being outside is my therapy. And, you know, there's times that I disappear for weeks and weeks and it's just because I have to disconnect and Ryan knows me a bit on a personal level and he knows that I can be very gregarious and extroverted but like at the soul core of me like I have to unplug and really just drop away from it all and usually spend a lot of time outside so yeah um so photography and and adventure and nature and outdoors really just is all like it's an all-encompassing thing for me if I'm outside taking pictures like I'm a solid 11 and that's a one through 10 scale so yeah so yeah I mean it it goes both hand in hand um I don't feel like I'm very a very good nature photographer um as I you know I take landscapes here and there and maybe something turns out but it's not something I really I don't know. I just always feel like the landscapes never do justice to the real life and and all that kind of stuff. So, but there's another long-winded answer for you guys. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I I would say that your landscape shots are incredible, but um, I feel like you might lean more towards the like you said with photojournalism, like incorporating the people into the landscape. You know, I feel like that's much more up your speed, anyways. Yeah, there's this, I can't remember this photographer's name. He used to teach at Yale. Oh, man, maybe I can Google him really quick. But he, like, has these, like, really ethereal photos. He's an artist. Um, uh, But Thomas Eden? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Who's that? (laughs) Ryan knows who that is. I said Thomas Eden. (laughs) I heard the word. Uh, He's a landscape photographer. It was Gregory, Gregory Crudson. Are you familiar with his work? I'm not. No, I'm not. I'll look him up. Okay, so I used to love his stuff in my 20s. And generally, they were like these cityscapes or landscapes. And the, there were people in them, but it wasn't like an overwhelming. 
I don't know. You have to you have to check him out. Yeah. I think really um cool. so I was I was really into his stuff and I think just by what I was looking at kind of you know, it 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 kind of gets with me. Like I guess there was his a lot of his photographs just has a sense of loneliness and isolation and separation. And I think like as somebody who well, I guess suffered can I use past tense suffered from depression like there's that sense of isolation and loneliness but who knows if it's depression or if it's just being a photographer because I'm sure you guys can relate to these feelings mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all too well being a yep. photographer is a very lonely job like even mm-hmm. on these hotel shoots like I show up alone I stay in these hotels alone I obviously am working with the client but the other end of the day it's and you know we spend hours editing and you know I'm sure you've had people be like you know I can help you and it's like no you don't you can't help me on this like I'm sorry (laughs) and it's like I can carry your gear no you're not carrying thousands of dollars worth of gear for me if it breaks it needs to be my fault so (laughs) as much as we can try to incorporate other people it's a very lonely job. So I think a lot of times the landscapes that incorporate people, I think they really resonate with like an isolation, loneliness feeling. But um, yeah, I, I, I like um, setting a sense of space with um, people. So yeah, I hadn't th- thought about Gregory Crudson in a while. I'll have to look at his, his newer work. Yeah, he, I, I looked up his too. work and I, I really love how he like uses light in it. You can tell like he really plans out all of his shots. Yeah, they're very orchestrated. So I mean, his stuff was, yeah, I was, I, uh, he was, he was like the bee's knees when I was in my twenties. Um, so. So did you yeah. in your twenties? Did you do like a lot of like staging with in like lighting work? <sighs> Well, my undergrad, I, I used natural lighting, but in undergrad, yeah, it was all self-portrait work. And so it was staged. I actually built a couple mm-hmm. like kind of set type of stuff. But then, oh, wow. like I said, I didn't touch a camera from like 24 to 28 or 29. I did some interior work, like I was saying in the beginning, like in my late 20s. But like personal work, I was just, I was just, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I was stuck. I just, I really, really had no idea what I wanted to do. And I remember I was actually just talking to the guy I moved to um, Ohio. I mean, moved to um, China with the other day about, um, I had made a post on Instagram about the truth about national parks versus the Instagram. And he was like, remember when we went to uh, Yellow Mountain, how awful that was? I was like, yep, that was the first and last time I ever went to a national park because the people there were, I don't even know where I'm going with this conversation, but the people there, it was just so many people. And um, I don't even know where I went with this conversation. So just strike that. I, I ran off the tracks on that one. Sorry, guys. I mean, there's definitely kind of the alert, like when you're beginning in photography, you want to go to these iconic locations and get the photos. But like you, you pretty quickly begin to realize that you can't get anything unique there and you really just oh, have right. to kind of find yeah. your own areas yeah and that's what i was saying like we went there and we had to take a bus and i'm like this was before i thought about the bike trip i was like i can't do this i was like i can't use a plane and a bus to get to places that are oversaturated with people to make photographs i was like what can i do and you know i rode a bicycle for a bit and you know i had one in new york you know like 
and I would ride and stuff. And China, like everybody is on a bicycle. And I'm like, if that old, if that old farmer can ride seven miles on his bike from the field home with that rake under his arm, I think I can handle it. And so, and you know, that's how the bike kind of got me into places. And, you know, after the bike, I did a lot of solo trekking and hitchhiking to get me into remote places. And it's just like, yeah, that national park stuff, I'm at the point where I'm just like, you know what, I would rather sit in my house and look at a photo on the computer than deal with that crap. Because put me in the woods of Ohio alone, I'd be way more happy than going to some of those, those places. It's just being outside is being outside to me. And it's just like, mm-hmm. keep the people, keep the people away. <laughs> and I, th- I think you can like, you can find little pockets in national parks, um, especially some of the lesser known ones that are very like remote. Uh, but definitely those main ones, you know, you we've seen the effects of all these people. Like there's, you know, carvings in the walls of these, like um, in the granite walls and just, you know, just all these effects of all these people. Oh, I know. And it's like I went to uh, Moab a few months ago and we went to the arches at night and that was beautiful. There were only like four people there and we rode our bikes from our campsite to the arches. And then I went to Yellowstone with my brother in January and that was amazing. We only saw like five people there. But like locally, what's that? What's that um, park out by Yellow Springs with the Yellow Springs? Uh, Glen Helen. Okay, I'm going to try to keep my cursing to a minimum, but if I see one more person post on social media a picture of them in that water, I'm going to lose it. Wait, are you talking about by the Cascades there? Yes, like people getting in the oh, water. Oh, yeah, I've seen them. I've seen and them firsthand. They, they go along the edge, and I don't even know how you can do that because it's, like, slick, and it slips. Yeah. Like, how do yeah. you even – I've seen a woman in her sandals was going out there. I'm like, you're going to fall, and I'm going to laugh. It just, it drives me insane. Like I, I was going there. I actually went for, there for the first time. A, a cu- I know it's, it's like, it, I don't understand what's going through people's heads. And it's just like, it, you know, I was, I was going into the park for the very first time, like a month ago. And these kids are coming, a family comes out and they're soaking wet. And the, the park rangers are like, you know, you're not supposed to get in the water. And some kids like, blah, blah, you know how they have no filter, but yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm paying money for the parking. I'm like, how about you? I just was thinking, why don't you all start charging $25 for every person that comes out of this place wet and let the parking be free? Like, how about that? Like, how about that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was, I was in Yosemite last month and there were people, I went to this popular viewpoint and there were people like dangling their legs, like right above like the massive drop, like, you know, hundreds of feet. (sighs) And just, you know, I just wanted to scream at them, but I didn't, but you know, it's very frustrating. Yeah. I can't, that's what, another reason why I can't go. Cause I can't stand saying it. And it's like that trip I went to yellow mountain with pe- Chinese people were literally pushing each other on the rock cliff to get pictures, <laughs> literally pushing one another. And I'm just like, this is insane that you're doing this for a stupid photograph of you with a landscape in the background. Like, mm-hmm behave yourselves like yeah yeah, so i mean that's one reason like i just can't it's not like kind of snubbing my nose at it it's just like seriously people like and it's like this whole van life thing i feel like what the the times i've gone out west this year it's just like the you all don't know 
how to um uh, what's what's the word like i don't want to say behave this is turning into a rant like, they don't know how to coexist with the environment thank you thank you thank <laughs> you that's exactly what it is like i don't want to hear your stereo on full blast of you guys wearing your like club gear at three o'clock in the afternoon dancing on the top of your camper van i don't want like please have respect for the people around you like please <laughs> you know and it's like and then we can just totally get into the top of the instagram and social media like for me i don't really tag my locations i don't want people to know where i go i can give a general yep. country or area but you don't need to know where i'm going because it's it's special and i don't i don't want people to ruin it <laughs> yeah because they mean so much to you they're like sentimental and yeah you don't want people yeah. like you said with the you know social media propagating everything yeah but like you said i mean if the media makes these places in a negative light then you know how many people are really going to go there you know uh -huh. i don't know <sighs> yeah yeah um so i know you talked about the uh i don't know how to pronounce it the the one peninsula is the, with the Uyghur Muslims? Had oh, uh, the... in Xinjiang, in northwestern uh -huh. China. Yeah, it's uh, mm -hmm. landlocked with uh, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, okay. Russia. Have you, yeah. Have you captured any of kind of the, I know there's kind of, I mean, there's basically a genocide going on there. Have you captured any of that? or? Well, they're very, very tight and mm -hmm. restricted with photography, but I do have personal experiences. They just weren't photographed. So one of the families I spend a lot, I spend a lot of time with um they are missing family members because of like one of the fathers uh was incarcerated for praying at a mosque so no i haven't photographed any of the rioting or the camps but i have seen i have seen um i've i've seen enough to know that there's some really awful things going on like the last time i was there um uh goodness like my I, I was pulled out of a car so many times like with my bag inspected oh, and um I was staying at a house I was staying at the house I was registered at the local police station and they remembered me from the year before which is well I was in a little village so but some Han Chinese showed up and they were like a Han Chinese showed up and he saw me there and then like two hours later um, another Han Chinese shows up and he has riot gear and like the batting, battering like sh plexi shield and they're like hey we know you have a foreigner in there and so they were just like the local village like <sighs> rats basically and they're so like are the Han Chinese are they part of the government or they're just so China has an ethnic majority of Han Chinese and then China reports that they have 56 ethnic minorities but there's actually many more than 56 mm. um so the tibetans are an ethnic minority the uyghurs are an ethnic minority so xinjiang and tibet both claim uh independence from uh, the people's republic of china and this has caused uprisings um as you know the dalai lama escaped tibet and then xinjiang um has been having its own rioting um if you were to go there i mean you 
I don't know if people that listen to this podcast know what Ryan look lo- looks like, but Ryan, you kind of have blonde hair, right? Is it kind of blonde? Uh, no, I mean light brown, light to okay. dark brown. And, and are your eyes blue or brown? I forget. Uh, like a grayish brown or excuse well, me, grayish yeah. blue. Yeah, yeah. Like there's Muslims. Kind of like a foggy blue. Yeah, there's Muslims that look just like you there. Like they're not Chinese. They they are ethnically. Well, they they're ethnically like Turkish. Um, so when I go there and I'm speaking my like juvenile Mandarin and I have like a hijab on, people are like, "Are you? Where where are you? Where are you from? Are you from Uzbekistan? Are you from Pakistan?" Because they're they're thinking like, "You're not Uyghur, but you're here." And so a lot of times before it got really bad, I could kind of just move undercover because besides my height, because of being brown hair, fair skin, and brown eyes, people were just like, oh, you know, she's just a really tall Muslim. So, um, yeah, like, like, and so, yeah, um, this has been going on for a while, and I think it's kind of caused me some trouble. Um, So some of the work I do there does go anonymous. And when people ask to use my photographs now, I, I ask them to not use my name. Uh, so for that one, is that, uh, is that because of fears of the government lashing out at you for that? So, yeah. And finding the people that I've spent time with. So yeah. it wouldn't be that difficult for them to find the people that I have contact with. So at this point, it's just, um, yeah, you can use the photos, but don't, t- don't, don't, I don't want photo caption. This might be a little crazy, but like, have you thought about using like a pseudonym maybe to I publish do, the work? I do have a pseudonym. I didn't, I should have developed it years ago, but I do have one. And, uh, you know, it's just, and most of my work is that work is published in academic articles. Um, I know a lot of anthropologists and academics. That's usually where most of my connections are for both Tibet and Xinjiang. So I freely give that those photos to them. Like I have a friend that's publishing a book, not a friend, a contact that I've worked with in the past and he needed some photos for a book. And he's, I'm like, sure, here they are. Like, I don't want, I don't want photo credit and I don't want money. So here you go. So um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of causes that I'm very adamant about and I'm more than happy to do the work that needs to be done. And so I don't know if I'll ever be able to continue that work. I haven't been back since 2017. And at this point, um, there's, I've had some questionable activity in my, in my emails and websites and being investigated in China. So yeah, so I don't know where all of that stands at this point. Oh. Wow. <laughs> It's really admirable that, you know, like you were saying earlier about the photojournalism, like people just do it to cash a check, but, you know, you really do it for free if you could, you know? Yeah, I would do, I, I, I totally would do it for free. And it's just, it's just what I really believe in because I know these people. I, I've, I've found it interesting that we've almost gone an hour, guys, and you have not brought up the topic of me being a woman yet. It must be a generational thing. Yeah. We're all I mean, inclusive. <laughs> all outdoors, I think you're, all inclusive. You're, a third, you're a third female guest, I believe. So, I mean, for what it's worth. I think we've had twice as many male guests on, I think. 
Well, but it's really no, we don't. I don't. I, I didn't think twice, really. Well, I'm glad it's really refreshing for it not to be a topic, like an immediate topic. It's usually the really like low hanging fruit. It's like, so you go to all these um, strange places. How do you feel like being a woman doing this? And it's just like, how do you think I feel like being a woman? Like <laughs> the same way, like anyone else would go yeah. there and do it. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like it's like you know, like I'm not a big vocal person for like women in photography because I feel like it's our as a woman our responsibility as much as the men's responsibility to do the work and you know like like when we were talking about being in the outdoors like I tell people when I'm outside and I'm on my bike specifically on my bike but also when I'm like out in Tibet and photographing and backpacking and like there is no Eleanor there is no Ellen there's no 42 year old there's not an American it's I'm I'm not a woman I'm just this energy I'm this entity I'm this thing I'm this oneness with the universe like I don't see all those labels and it's like when I come back to this world it's like oh that's right I have to I have to carry these labels for it to be palatable but like when I'm outside like doing my thing or you know specifically like on my bike or photographing like out in Tibet it's like there is no there is no woman there is no just it's just me it's just this energy right so like I guess that's one of the highs I get from when I'm doing this stuff and I mean I do think about it a lot and you know I've obviously faced a lot of issues for being a woman in some of these regions but you know men face similar things too and um you know I have really high expectations of women I, I feel that we don't really push our potential a lot of times so I'm not like one like I won't get into a lot of the debates that are like uh how do I say this uh, for like in layman's terms or like an easy example it's, I don't really like being involved in women's specific open calls, gallery exhibits, grants. I I don't really like to like, be like that women way. On, like women only awards and events. Like, yeah, because it's becoming exclusive once again. And I feel yeah. like the only way we're going to see a change is if we can have a conversation and everybody understand where we're coming from. And, you know, I've kind of been poo-pooed on this a couple of times, but I feel like if... For me, I found my power as a woman. Like there are things I can do as a woman, as a female photographer that you guys can, it would be really hard. Like I can walk into a household and a woman be like, hey, I need to go herd the yaks. Will you keep an eye on my, my baby? I, I really doubt that that would be as easy for you guys as it is for me. Or when I'm riding my bike across the plateau and it's like, oh, you poor thing. You need to come in, have some tea, have some noodles. You can camp near us tonight. You'll be safe. And it's like, would they really do that to you guys? Like, and that's the thing. Like, I really urge women to find their power as a woman and not just be like, oh, I'm a woman. So I can't achieve these things. Instead change the the dialogue or what you're telling yourself to i am a woman and these are the things that will allow me to do this so i think it's this like whole mindset as well like and i, I mean i grew up like my father i played sports and i was really bad at t-ball or base little league and my dad was like you can't play with the boys if you're gonna be that awful like you're not playing anymore because you're holding the team back and he's like 
we're, we have to work at this. So he coached me in the backyard and eventually I was as good as the boys. And it's like, um, I never heard, oh, well, you're good enough for a girl. I never heard that. I never heard, well, you can't do that because you're a girl. Like, it just wasn't in our family. So, like, when I started going out into the real world, I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean women can't do something because they're a woman? I, I never, <laughs> I never got that memo. <laughs> so, I mean, with trekking poles, I'm still kind of okay at peeing standing up. So, I mean, there's really not a lot I can't do. <laughs> You're setting the bar real high for women, I think. I guess the thing with this. You know, they've done studies where they've had um, open call, like work, you know, they're, you know, a company's hiring for work and they have 15 points that need to be checked off for the job the actual numbers are but women generally wouldn't apply until they met 12 or 13 of that 15 where men would apply with like eight or nine hmm. now what is going what is going on in our heads that make us think that way like of course there's society and culture but now we're aware of this and now it's our turn to like really make that step forward and i mean i of course i'm talking as like a white woman like in third world developing countries, it's still very behind. So like, I am like, I do want to check my privilege on that and not get a bunch of hate mail because, you know, like when people were like, you work in China, it's like working in the 1950s. And yeah, it was working in the 1950s. It, it, like women's rights and like a professional woman, especially a female photographer, it was, it was definitely like behind. So this conversation more about like western privileged white women um rather than just all women in whole but yeah i mean i can kind of get on the thing with like exclusiveness and inclusiveness and it's that's a messy road to get down and i think you guys are both different like you guys are obviously a different generation than me and so my vocabulary isn't as PC as say Henry so like I don't want to like chew on my foot in here because like I use a photo consultant to help me write my um captions and artist statements and he'll be like Eleanor you can't say that and I'm like what do you mean I can't say that he's like I don't know I, I don't know I just know that like millennials will tell me that like that's not like politically correct I'm like I, I, I don't see anything wrong with it so I don't like yeah. want to go too far down this road because I'll end up saying something that's probably not like correct. So I'll just leave it at that. Well, I'll say like in my generation a lot, I especially see this like online, like on social media and stuff. There's people who are so politically correct that it just becomes like incredibly toxic and it just, mm -hmm. I don't know, like sometimes, you know, people can take it way too far. And in my generation, I think that's probably one of the biggest problems. Really. yeah and I guess and I guess you know when me when I say that women need to find their power it's more of the fact that I just really hate victim talk I really hate like self-victim talk like I don't like I have a TEDx talk and if you guys kind of want to know my my background but I didn't come from like bunnies and flowers and my brother like was he was like in a whole other like way worse off than me like statistically my brother probably shouldn't even be alive and it's just like, I hate to be the whole like pull up your bootstraps type of person, but it's just like, 
like I don't want to be seen as a victim and like the women I photograph and document and work with they don't want to be seen as a victim they don't even know that they're a victim you know I see them as brave and resilient and powerful and loving and it's like yeah I just I don't like this broad sweeping of like oh look at these poor people in these foreign like it's like look at them and see how it resonates with your life like like yeah I don't know this I mean, if yeah. you if you label yourself a victim, you'll never get out of that state of victimness. Ex- because... Exactly, and then yeah. I I'm so anti-negative self-talk. Like we do it enough to ourselves. Like we should really like be better to ourselves with the way we talk about you know ourselves and everything. It's just like nobody wants to be a victim. I can't imagine anybody being like, oh yeah I want everybody to be poor me I mean I'm sure there's some people out there but it's just like yeah so but why do you guys think that you've only had a few women on the podcast I think um especially in nature nature photography kind of the outdoor space I think there is a, a large like shortage of women in general who do it like I don't know why that is um yeah i really have no idea why um but i mean i'm sure there's a lot of factors that go into that uh but of course we're not like avoiding women we just don't know a lot really who do this so it's it's interesting i actually have had this conversation with people and do you think it's just accessibility or just so this is you know another conversation of like these social and cultural constructs of what a woman should be in femininity and it's like I was a tomboy. Like, if I was 17 now, I probably would totally go by they or there or be gender fluid. I don't know all the things, but like, I look back at that. I'm like, man, yeah, I can totally understand that. Like, who knows what I would have been if I was a 17 year old now? But I was like, you know, I had short hair and like, I just like, I was a little punk rock kid and I just like pushed the boundaries. And I think, I don't know what made me that way. Um, but yeah I mean trust me I try to find women to mountain bike with and it's just like oh it's so hard <laughs> yeah I mean mountain biking too that's even less women I think yeah it's like when I go out on the trails it's like one woman to 30 men and if I wasn't single now I'd, I'd be like oh well you know there's the dating pool right now but um <laughs> yeah I mean it really it really is like I don't know what it is and like like so I think my record day of not showering is like 24 days and like I'm very proud of that and I always know that I have the right I have the right company around me when they're like oh wow that's awesome rather than oh so like the guy I'm seeing he he sounds like one of the greatest attributes when we met was the fact that I can go like nearly a month without bathing and um like I took my mom out to Tibet and Nepal and she she'll still she'll still talk about it she's like it's so liberating like once you just let go of that control and like that's the thing like I wear an old flannel and some old car hearts and I'm like I'm gonna get dirty and then by like day three or four when my hair is starting to get greasy and I got dirt all over me and I'm hanging out with nomads with like like yak poo all over them and like old milk I'm just like yeah who cares like I don't care 
I really don't care. Like, it's very liberating where you're just like, and I usually like, I usually keep my skin covered because of the high altitude. So I'm really not getting that dirty. I might wash my face here and there, but it's like, I think, I think more people need to experience the liberation of like cultural constructs of how we should be as humans or as women, because <laughs> I made the joke the other day that we're just animals that wear pants. I mean, <laughs> in all ways, <laughs> I mean, really, like, and so, yeah, I mean, I have plenty of like gross travel stories, like my dysentery and like when I was like browning out and I think I was losing my salts and like, I was just like all these times I've been sick and it's just like, I don't know. I just wish more women would just uh, embrace the filth, I guess. <laughs> it's so freeing. And like, even my photo gear, like at first I'd be like, oh, I don't want to get it dirty. And now I'm just like, you know what? It can be cleaned. It can, it all can be cleaned. Or even it can be replaced. You know? Exactly. And yeah. are, you, are you going to be like, oh, I never took my camera out on that backpacking trip to Nepal because it was so dusty and dirty. Don't have any pictures. And it's just like, oh, really? Like that. That's, the best that's shots are in the dust. Like I I say, all the more reason to go. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, I knew that it was like pretty minimal with women photographers. But now that you talk about nature photographers, that is a really like, well, maybe this is a thing too for nature photographers. How many women have you had on here that had a family? Uh, <laughs> none. Okay, so I don't you, think so. You guys like go outside and like basically hunt for pictures of birds and stuff, right? Like, how many hours do you spend like waiting for a bird to show up or whatever you guys do? I'm not a bird photographer, so I'm just asking. Uh, not many honestly like i'll go to location kind of do around my rounds like i'll do loop trails or something but like uh -huh. i'm usually on the move pretty quick but like if there's like a concentrated spot of birds like just lots of activity then i'll stick around for as long as i feel like but i don't really i'm not like a bird blind person really so I today know. i was photographing some warblers um and i spent about three hours in one spot and i that's very rare for me to spend that much time but usually i'm pretty on the move as well Oh, interesting. Well, so, I mean, you guys can probably relate to like, oh, I got to get that sunrise shot. I got to get that sunset shot. Like there's definitely particular hours of the day that we need to be outside. And maybe with family and having children, women just, you know, there's, there's things that it need to be done. It down. For lack of better words. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I, I, no, no, no. I just don't want to offend people of my age you know i want to you can say what you want to say ryan you're young but <laughs> they have um more important responsibilities than yes. of outside how about that right we we i i think yeah it's safe to say that henry and i both have a lot more time so to speak on our hands to like go out like oh, i'm gonna photograph this waterfall for a few hours or something yeah Same something here. like that yeah. Although, although, sorry, like next year I'll have like zero time, but yeah. <laughs> well, we all, yeah, there's still responsibilities, of course, but yeah, there's a definitely a different like. It, I think I think it boils down to lifestyle. It's not really about gender yeah. or anything. I mean, it is, but like, it's more about just how you live your life, 
or how it's been given to you almost you know the cards are dealt yeah it's all boils down to so like yeah just going going out traveling doing all these things and yeah it just depends on how you just live it i guess you know some people want the families that's great some people can you know go with or without it really like i mean i'm i'm imagining like in if i get married it'll have to be to a photographer like a nature photographer like really (laughs) or someone that travels at least because already with like work and school and photography like there's already not enough time so if i add like a family that's not photography focused into that you know like i don't know how that'll go so you need a nice watercolor painter so you guys can like go outside (laughs) that's where i'm at an artist type that's yeah yeah Someone yeah. that just and like understands the madness of us, you know, we're terribly insecure. Uh-huh. We need lots of time out, solitude, and but still wants yep. to be there at the dinner table, so just, or just whatever. Yeah. Or the dinner picnic table. <laughs> yeah. The tent. the tent or the or the, the hammock. Oh my god! I mean, I mean, as as an older, wiser woman, like I've I made the mistake of trying to date people that didn't like the outdoors, and like this, I you know, um, I basically spent the last twelve years single, like pretty much single, and so you know that's another sacrifice to get where I've gotten. I've spent a lot of time alone. Most everything I've done is alone. Like it's been a lot of like just me doing stuff, but like this the relationship I'm in now is just like he's the mount like he was actually the mountain biker and I was just the cyclist so he's the one that got me into mountain biking I'd always wanted to do it but it was very daunting but he loves the outdoors and like I can't have it any other way he's not the artist type I think he is but he'll claim he's not but he loves the outdoors and that's like that's pretty important to me and i see where i've gone wrong in the past of just being like oh well he's a computer programmer that likes to drink on the weekends that's (laughs) totally gonna work not (laughs) yeah they 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 say opposites attract but i don't really know if that's true all the time Uh, i wouldn't say that there needs to be some overlap i feel like it needs to be enough there like a like a, a mutual interest in both people's lives but yeah it's yeah, completely what, different. I don't think or, it works. Yeah, or what you find sacred. Like, being outdoors to me is very sacred to me. And then, you know, other people have religion. So if that's what's sacred to them, maybe their religion is the same. Or, you know, mm-hmm. what what is that thing that's just, it's just like the core of you. And for, for me, it's being outside. It's like, you don't need to ride bikes. You don't need to hike. But I would like for you to be able to sit outside or do things outside for hours and days on end. And you not be like, there's too many mosquitoes out here oh yeah oh my gosh for sure yeah it takes a certain person certain breed of human to be like that though you know i feel like a lot of people are just really couch potatoes too which is i mean mean, that's once again it's lifestyle it's if that's what they want to do it's fine you know yeah i mean it's it's weird like i have like high, high school friends you know they just don't even like understand what i do at all like whatsoever yes. like they just it's like <laughs> why the hell do you chase birds around in the forest like what are you doing like and then there, there'll be yeah. some as well who like are someone interested and will want to go with me and i'm like you you don't want to go with me it's you know just yeah. incredibly <laughs> bored and you know. 
I, I hate it more, uh, hate the strong word, but like when people just like try to understand your angle and they're like, oh, I'm interested. I want to go with you. And I'm like, you don't understand. I'll go out for hours and like the sun, the rain, you know, just everything. It's not really glamorous. Like, I don't know what they're thinking, but. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know it's so not glamorous. It's like, can you really go two months with only two pairs of knickers in your backpack? like can, can you really go can we can we really do that like yeah i'm super particular about who goes along with me as well just because it's just like ugh. yeah it's, yeah, it's definitely it's not like glamorous my, my buddy of mine aaron um shout out to him if he's listening but uh we did like a, this big old 25 mile hike the other day and like i picked it because i like i knew he was kind of working up to it he did some like longer hikes but i'm like in the sweat and everything in the sun and everyone, you know, everyone I told, like, coworkers or whatever, are just like, man, that's just crazy. How'd you do that? You know, you're sunburnt and everything. I'm like, well, yeah. But, you know, it's just something. It sounded fun at the time, and I did it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it takes a different person. I think an ambitious individual to to do the things that we do, you know? But you're yeah. kind of curious about it, I guess, too. I'm willing to do it for free. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I think if I, I think really, if you aren't willing to do it for free, you're never going to make it in the industry. I think. You know, I would agree with that because, like, I photo assisted. I mean, I made a little bit of money, but like all the portfolio building, I, I, I didn't get paid for that stuff. And it's like people are so disillusioned. Like, I could tell you how much I've been paid for like in-flight magazine spreads and like the Guardian or the LA Times, like things I've been published in the the pay is awful it's it's mm -hmm. awful and this is like for an already produced story so i think people still live in this fantasy of like oh when are you gonna work for national geographic um you know uh, i'll work for them when they contact me <laughs> uh i don't even care yeah. right like that's not even like on i don't care but it's like people are so thinking that like, oh, you get an assignment and you go around the world and then you collect your paycheck. It's not like that. You save up your money, you go across the world, you live in ditches and eat like saltine crackers for dinner, battle your dysentery. And if you're lucky, you might be able to sell a story when you get home. And you build up like 12 different sources of income so you can right. at least survive, you know? Yeah. So, and it's like, pennies on the dollar too they i don't know i just yeah people feel like maybe it's like you make it you know like they just call you you get a check in the mail like, no it's, it's a lot of work <laughs> yeah and then with like cell phones and everything like things are changing and you know i did a workshop in thailand and met a lot of um photographers from like southeast asia and a lot of them are really, well, all of them are really talented, but too often than not, they were being used as translators and fixers by like middle-aged white men being sent, sent in from North America and Europe. And it's like, we need more people like in these regions photographing. I, that was a hell of a jump and segue right there. I'm trying to connect the dots how I got here. I can kind of see it, but yeah, like, I truly believe that we need uh, more diversity in photography and the pay, unfortunately, will go down. But you know what? 
let them hire a local in Southeast Asia that doesn't have to have the airfare and the five-star hotel and make the same amount of money, you know? And it's just like, yeah, so that's a, that's another topic too, so. Yeah. Yeah. We'll but, for next time you're on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, we're definitely doing a part two of this, no doubt. Oh, that'll be, uh, that'll be awesome. Yeah, Brian, you've been really inspiring to do more landscape stuff and like showcase that work more. I am a little timid. Um, I did get a Raleigh cord and I've, I have some film in the refrigerator from Moab and um, awesome. Mexico and yeah it's been a while since i shot film so i'm looking forward to the surprise when they finally get developed or the horror <laughs> yeah, that's oh, a chance. okay i see i see how you two work we've got we've got negative negative nelly over there <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> no you just you just don't have their rose tinted glasses that's okay yeah you're a realist which i can appreciate yeah. That's why I'm glad to work with yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing those though. I haven't shot film in like ten years. I keep telling what? people that. Maybe it's a sign. Yeah. I've I got I got a film school. camera for Christmas. I still haven't made my way through the first uh roll, but I'm getting close. So what did you get? Those soon. Uh it's uh Canon AE one was <gasps> my grandpa's old one. So I learned on that camera. Oh, cool. That was my first camera i got it when i was 15 we're almost like twinsies <laughs> yeah it, it's pretty cool she was in your shoes <laughs> that's a really good camera to learn on yeah but uh, um, it has it has auto mode too so i don't have oh. to do the metering which is nice yeah there you go. best of both worlds yeah don't need to carry around an extra meter have, oh but have you guys shot with it medium format camera yet no 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 oh, dude. <laughs> not quite there a large format either <laughs> oh guys oh guys oh oh guys we got the new technology okay the me medium <laughs> format film is just so like it's so amazing especially if you shoot chromes because you get this film back and you don't need a scanner or a, a you know you just see what you see but um mm -hmm. oh you guys gotta get some medium format cameras. I gotta get some money first, though. That's the oh, problem. that's right. Yeah. That's... Oh, sorry. I forgot. I forgot. I have a couple. <laughs> I have a couple decades ahead of you guys. <laughs> I'm not quite too much older than Henry, but yeah, I, I need the money's a factor too. Well, that's the thing. I sold off all my film cameras, and now I'm starting to buy them again. So I sold off. I had a Mia Seven. Um, I wish I had saved it because now they're like $2,000 more than what I paid for it. Oh, wow. Um, but that's a, that's a rangefinder six by seven camera. It's so beautiful. It is such an amazing camera, but yeah, medium format. I don't know how it would work for nature photography though, maybe for landscapes, but for, for like birds and stuff, I probably wouldn't do that. Probably not. Yeah. We're kind of spoiled by the digital equivalents nowadays. But yeah, for landscapes and stuff that's kind of slower and quieter, it, I feel like it'd work out really well. Actually, I know it does because I've seen examples. Yeah. yeah. So, um, hey, Henry, do you ride bikes too? 
Yeah, I actually do a decent amount of mountain biking. <gasps> Uh-huh. Really? Where do you yeah. ride? Well, I've never, I'm mostly just in my local area in Louisville. Um, I live right by this park that has amazing mountain bike trails. I'm not, I'm definitely not good. Like, I just do it for fun occasionally. Wait, so uh, you're based, but... you're not based in Dayton then? No, so I, I live in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm up in Michigan right now because my grandparents live up here. Um, but I, I'm in that Ohio area a lot because they also have a house in uh, Springfield, Ohio. So I, I know a lot about that area as well. Uh, but I do. I've only mountain biked in Louisville before. So okay, well the next time I come through and you're around there, we'll we'll go take our bikes out and we'll yeah. let Ryan know, and he can come along if he wants mm-hmm. to. Yeah, or even if I'm up in the Ohio area. Yeah, Ryan, are you riding at all? I'll be down for that. Are you riding at all? I need to, I need to some more. Yeah, it's just weather and you know scheduling, but yeah, I'm definitely planning on it this summer more. Do you have a front suspension or full suspension bike? I'm not that technical with bikes. I don't. I don't know. (laughs) You asked me that once, and I'm like, I don't remember. Do do you have a shock? Do you have a shock on the front wheel? I think so. Ryan, do you have a shock? I'm same here. My answer is the same. I think so. Okay, so you guys probably have uh, a hard tail then, which would mean it's it's stiff in the back, and but you have a fork with suspension. Let's just go with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can look at it. I think I sent you a photo before too. I think you did too. Yeah. So. Yeah. I can send it again if you want a closer look. I, the front end or something. Yeah, but um, like last year, so I only got my full driver's license like about a year ago now so before that i would have to ride my bike everywhere to photo locations um and you know that involves a lot of mountain biking so that that was definitely interesting uh, i'm glad i can drive now but you know it was very nice to take the bike to places i guess bikes carrying the fo- like oh that's just like the best it's uh-huh. just the best i yeah I'm trying to find bags to put on the mountain bike so I can actually start carrying photo gear out on the trails rather than because like I need to I'm old I need to keep stuff off my back my shoulders are starting to kill me which as you guys oh the shoulder and neck pain from photography sucks and hopefully you guys won't have to deal with it but like when I raise my tripod when I raise my camera over my head on my tripod I basically have to use my left arm to support my right arm as I'm going up because like my right shoulder is just so wrecked oh jeez wow. yeah, yeah so you guys you guys have fun <laughs> <laughs> no I don't know if there's anything, I don't know if there's anything we, you can do about it like it's just it's part of I mean, the it's part I've of the been... beast of it recently i've been trying to like drop my bag um and then like just walk around a bit and come back to get it if it's like an unpopulated area and that's been helping a lot that's Uh, smart yeah i like i I like well in the past but yeah before i even had a car i would cycle to like the nearest locations or as i can get to like within reason if there weren't busy roads and yeah i just like the park from the bike on foot with my camera bag and i did for years like stash my bag in bushes like uh-huh. that I know no people will see because I oh I man bought... don't be telling people don't be telling people publicly on this podcast I bought a green bag on purpose that's like matches the woodland so like oh, okay it works pretty well that's what I do with the bike is I stash it somewhere like in the woods somewhere off mm. trail I'll just kind of like go off the side if it's like not too busy 
I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I would never do anything like that. No. You're the most adventurous one here, I think. I never stash my bike in the woods anywhere. Sleep in trenches and <laughs> dysentery. Yeah. It's all part of the it's all part of the adventure. Are we still yeah. recording? Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys can uh, edit it out, right? We we might. I don't even know how big the video file goes, or the audio. Oh, we're, we're we're only an hour and ten. That's fine. Oh wow. Uh -huh. Well, we can either keep going. Um, I have a couple more questions, or we can just. I think we should probably do a part two in a couple okay. months or so. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Oh. Yeah, so um, I'm going to go up to Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, in the late summer, oh, wow. early fall, and awesome. I'm going to do my first uh, bike adventure race, so we can catch up after that. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah, sounds good. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well thanks Ellen, for coming is on, there, Yeah, is there any places you'd like to plug anything to, so people can see more of your work? Um, you can find me on the internet. At, my Instagram tag is Eleanor. Mosman and my website is eleanormosman.com and I have a photography studio at Front Street here in Dayton, Ohio that you are more than willing and more than welcome. <laughs> I'm willing, <laughs> but you're more than welcome to come by and um take a look or give me a chat or whatever. So, um Ryan probably knows this. I'm pretty easy to talk to and I'm always willing to yak it up with people about pretty much anything so i think that's I all i needed that. to plug yeah buy some of my prints yeah yeah you, oh, you guys well, should buy some, buy of, my some of my prints okay. buy Oliver. <laughs> no we're, we're supposed to do a trade we're gonna do a print trade oh shit that's Wait, right. Can we do a can we do a three way print trade somehow? Yes, yeah, so we can do a three way print trade. I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be happy to do a print trade with both of you guys. Sweet, cool. Let me know yeah. what you want, and uh, I'll look at your browser selection. A uh, gentleman's choice. Okay. I'll like see it, it first. I'll see it first Friday. You can. I have got stuff on the wall. You can choose from if you want. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, same for me. I'll be switching displays, but. And Henry, when are you back uh, in Louisville? Um, I think end of July. So. And you'll be a senior then. Yes. When I'll you be start a senior, school. And I'm probably I'm looking at colleges. I'm probably gonna go to Xavier in Cincinnati. So I'll be in Ohio, like right near you guys. Not oh, cool. incredibly close, but like pretty close. So. What are you planning on studying? Uh, I'm thinking political science. I'm really into politics. Uh, <gasps> See, I tell people, do not go to school for photography. Go to school for something else and incorporate photography into your craft. Like, I wish I'd yeah. gone to school for anthropology. Like, I'm in thinking, all reality. I'm thinking about a minor in maybe, like, ornithology or something. Just so I can know awesome. a bit more. There you go. That would be awesome. Uh, but, yeah, I really do yeah. like politics. So I'm looking forward to studying that. <laughs> Good the politics for you. of birds. The politics you, are, of birds. you are already <laughs> light years ahead of photographers by choosing not to major in photography. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It would just I'm, be a waste I'm of money. Stuff on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, go find somebody to assist for that can pay you. 
So that's not me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you're suggesting it. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, you should go find somebody you you can assist while you're going to school and make a little bit of pocket money and right. Learn. No, just kidding. So what assisting did sure. me? It taught me what I didn't want to do. No, you need to assist for all types of photographers. Yeah. So I assisted for a fashion photographer. I assisted for product photographer. I assisted. He also did boat photography. It taught me what I didn't want to do. I did not want to do fashion photography. Like no way. People think it's super glamorous. No, you have about 30 people crammed into a small room, like, and everybody's telling you what should be done. No way. No way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, oh, yes. My name is Eleanor Mosma. I'm also available for life coaching. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, uh, well, thank you guys for watching the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And Thanks, I, hope guys. See, I hope to see you both in person. Thank you so much for watching the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.